Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 107. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. Tim here with Christopher in the communications level of the semi-subterranean northern main layer. Before he even says that, he starts grinning. It's just makes him so happy. Hello. Uh, uh, end of the semester, spring semester. Over. over today. Yeah. Uh, number 51. Um, number 10 for you. Yeah, 10 in the bag. Uh, five, six years? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you'll look back and say, what did I do with my life? Uh, um, it's all a blur. Yeah, so we're tired. We're punchy. Uh, maybe don't lean on that because it'll shake the yeah. thing. Um, we're tired and punchy. and uh, The wheels just came off my trailer and I'm supposed to leave today. So <laughs> that's where my head's at. <laughs> uh, took off the river yesterday with like a nice 25 mile an hour headwind. We started how we, we began with giant headwinds. And in frustration. <laughs> frustration, yeah. It was good. It was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, busy, busy, busy. On to the next thing. So your summer plans, you've got a private class you're running this weekend, like in two days. Yeah, so I've got to boogie down to Vermont and, and uh, start all over again. Yeah, It'll be great. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> uh, and I've got a couple of days off to, to hit some cold water trout ponds and maybe even a quick uh, sea kayak and trip to the coast before summer woodsman starts up in about just a little over a week. So uh yeah, that'll be yeah. awesome. I got a full week or a full summer of family bushcraft weeks down in Vermont, and my uh, year-long program will be up here in. Geez, that's crazy. We'll be back up here in like three and a half weeks or so to go run more rivers. It'll be awesome. Yeah, go go go. Um, and we're especially punchy because we just did the solo experience, which is for students. They go off onto the land and have three nights. Um, with themselves and their thoughts to feel like part of the land. But for Christopher and I, it means we sitting... We have to put in, up with each other's thoughts the whole a, time. <laughs> sitting in a base camp, seeing how many meals we can eat in a day and how little exercise you can get yeah. over. Of, uh, the tie, the two, two of the days we were out there, it was above 90 degrees. And I'm pretty sure we spent more time laying in the river than we did doing anything yep. else. It was so hot and buggy. In the river, go up, eat something, back in the river... Yeah. eat back in the it river pretty, pretty nice uh but then we had a nice a nice end of the trip the weather shifted yeah. we had a nice cold cold uh colder air mass drier air mass high pressure system blow in with the um with the winds that usually bring those things and we always have those as headwinds around here yeah because <laughs> mother nature just likes to mess with us well it was a good i mean that so this trip was uh this is my favorite trip that we run and the two students we had this semester 
knocked it out of the park on it. You know, bugs were some of the worst I'd ever seen. The days were kind of hot and buggy and muggy. The fishing wasn't great, but like we still had an awesome time catching nothing but Creek Chub. And we have a guy on this course who's a professionally trained chef. And so we had like a traveling fish stock pot with us, which we were making our dinners with every day. It was awesome. It was so much fun. I caught my first salmon in the Aroostook that I've ever caught, which was really cool. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And like the wildlife really like stepped it up for us. Like on the first campsite, mama and papa eagle and then an eagle in the nest that we got to see um baby beaver which like we all came around the corner and all three of us just stopped because there's this tiny little thing going me 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 baby beaver swimming around perhaps the cutest was, thing in the it animal was kingdom adorable i yeah it was it was pretty awesome and lots of moose so many moose yeah i paddled up you have some great pictures of the moose and then i i was paddling and came up and this moose is standing in the river, and I got about—I I think it was ten feet from yeah. it. And I was like, "This, this could, this could end badly." You know, I kept expecting him to run because yeah. usually they run when you're thirty feet off. I mean, they—they're basically blind, right? They—they yeah. they look and they can't. So if they, if they don't hear you or smell you, they're like they don't know what you are. Yeah. So, but I just kept drifting towards this thing, and finally I got real close, and he said, "Okay," and he went the other yeah. direction. Thankfully, yeah. Uh, Otherwise, you could have done that. We have this old book up here that's. A terrible idea, but they talk about if a moose gets close enough to you in a lake, you can jump off and ride oh, on his yeah. back. But be sure you get off before he gets his footing. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in for a wild ride. Yeah. And, like, I wish I could write books like that and get away with it. Like, if I, if I wrote something like that today, I'd get somebody killed. Yeah. They probably did get somebody killed. They, they're remarkably fast swimmers. Yeah. Like, I've been uh, basically racing a moose. I was on the Allagash a few years ago. But I was in my uh, 20-foot wood canvas boat, which is really fast, right? Really sharp uh, bow and stern lines. So it's really fast boat. And I was paddling as hard as I could, and the moose was still pulling away from me swimming. So you're saying you should have jumped onto its back. I'm saying that like you, it, it'd be very difficult to do. It's, it's basically like jumping on a moving car. It's not like pulling up going the same speed like in the movies when the... When the the gritty street cop and the wisecracking rookie are taking down Why the does bad that guys, sound so familiar. Because they always pull up and then one of them jumps onto like the the yeah. bad guy's car yeah. or something. I think Indianapolis Jones did it in one of his things too. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, great trip. Excited to do it again soon. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, uh, good semester though. Uh, obviously, we felt the the uh, impact of the pandemic here. Enrollment way down this this semester so we're hoping to bounce bounce back bounce out of that uh, come come for the fall semester um and so far we've got you know quite a few more yeah um uh, and i think people were just kind of spooked this year we had nine people uh sign up for the spring semester this year which is a you know good number average number um but then just uh people didn't make it out yeah. so Hopefully, tough time. I, and I'm sure this is not news to anybody out there that every you know small businesses all over. If you're a giant business, you've made seven trillion dollars over the pandemic. But small businesses all over kind of suffering a bit. So hopefully, hopefully we can kind of pull together as a society and and start bailing people out of this. Not with bailouts and all the other kind of government ridiculousness but more of just like going back to normal and what, what he's saying is come together right now over tim 
Yeah, that's no, that's not what <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah, local punchy. area up here is has definitely suffered a bit from the pandemic. You know, we lost our we lost our local diner. We you know a lot of the small businesses are having trouble finding people. So hopefully, yeah, I'm pretty sure our courses keep the local ice cream place in business. Yeah, we only had two students this semester. So. Definitely. And everybody who works there is driving a new $150,000 automobile as a result of our students. So they eat a lot of ice they cream. They do eat and... a lot of ice cream. I, I myself have to take partial blame for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been, it's, it was awesome to just have two people for a change, like not monetarily, but you get really close with people yeah. in that kind of setting. It was a lot of fun. And it was the first time we've had like such a small program since 2003, I think. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll bounce out of it. And, you know, if you support us and support this show, let somebody know about what we do and maybe it's something they're looking to do. And that would be, that would be great. Um, other things, other things this spring, uh, morel mushrooms, people go out and look for them all the time. And, uh, where we found a bunch of them in several places was rem- reminding me of something an old guy told me years ago. Uh, so, you know, we, I've never seen them in the woods here. I just don't, you know, it seems to be a very specialized habitat. And essentially where I keep finding them is where there was an old fire years ago. And I remember in the mid nineties, I met an old guy in Alaska and he says, oh, you're looking for morels. Just go to where there was a forest fire like two years ago and you'll, they'll be everywhere. So this year, I think last year we had one in the garden, the old garden by the guide shack, uh, where years ago we had a fire, like for, I don't know, a year we had a fire. It was a campfire spot. And then this year there were about 200 of them in there. They were everywhere. And then we found them uh, at another, at a remote campsite out on the river where we had, you know, where we have fires but haven't had one since last year. Yeah, the, the, the bunch of blowdowns over where, you know, the fire is supposed to be. And so we kind of, in cleaning all of that up, looked in where the fire pit was and there were three or four but they were too far gone to do anything with on the trip but it was a pretty cool thing to see them there yeah so if you're out interested in morel mushrooms uh look where there was an old fire and maybe you'll be fortunate and kind of find them there uh yeah other big news big developments from this spring uh for the past 20 years i've had the same cook kit set up that i bring on trips and uh, this past winter, I had planned to canoe the Rio Grande River in Texas uh, with a good friend of mine. Uh, got COVID, didn't do it, but had to change some plans. I didn't want to bring my Wanigan, my wooden Wanigan cookbox uh, in a desert river. You know, who knows what the water quality is like and having to clean it. So I wanted something more in waterproof stuff. So I've been fooling around with a uh, smaller cook kit um, in a 30 liter blue barrel and had that out on the trail recently and everything worked great uh you know and so super excited about that to have the have the other option uh long time listeners know i'm i have always been pretty good at cooking for big groups and taking care of big groups of people and then i struggle (laughs) when it's just me or like two people right because i'll often bring all the stuff to take care of 20 when i have two or one person so this is a good step in that direction. Um, years ago, I came home from a semester course and was used to cooking with a 16-inch Dutch oven for you know 10 people and Your realized whole family gained 40 pounds a piece. Yeah, I had to <laughs> I had to get my head wrapped around cooking for one or yeah. two. So, uh, you know, uh, this is another step in that direction. Yeah, but everything worked really good, and we'll probably I'll probably have it in an upcoming video. Uh, 
Other, one other cool piece of news, our friend Blake at Full Tang Outfitters sent us some, uh, some tump lines that yeah. we've been playing around with. And I have an old Army Alice pack that I bought at an Army-Navy store in 1982. So it's older than just about everybody who comes me. by here. It's older than me. Uh, uh, but had a really easy time attaching the tump line super securely to it, so it's going to be like kind of the the uh, military surplus version of the Duluth pack that those packs, the canvas canoe packs that are awesome but pricey, but also have attached tump lines. So you can look for that probably in a future video. And on to our main point for the podcast today is talking about coaching. That there's kind of two ways to be effective as a coach. There's probably lots of ways to be effective as a coach, but there's two ways that we end up uh, coaching and working with people as they develop their skills on a program. And the two aren't mutually exclusive, but they're really hard for one person to pull off. So on the one hand, a coach can be very nurturing and help people to build their confidence and get them to where they are uh, more mentally able to approach difficult things, right? So, yeah, you've got backup in your corner, so you're ready to take bigger risks, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's that's a good thing to have, especially on some of these programs where it's stuff's challenging. It's hard. So on the one hand, a coach can be very nurturing like that. But on the other hand, the coach is really responsible for maintaining accountability. So to say, okay, you know, how far along are you on the bow drill requirements or have you completed your map or have you done x y or z so but it's very challenging to to wear both hats at the same time and i think that's one of the strengths for us having two instructors on on you know this this long course here um on most of our longer programs is the fact that you can kind of play good cop bad cop where one person can be the more about uh, nurturing people helping them to get their confidence get their legs under them whereas the other person can kind of be focused more on accountability and be more of a taskmaster yeah and it's a, it's an interesting thing you know different students need different things so the being able to read you know if i if my approach is to always be kind of rigid and push people a lot um and I'm just applying that to everybody. Then occasionally you run into a student that doesn't work for it. The same with the nurturing. Some people don't need you to nurture them. They just need you to like give them the next thing to do. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's great. Just, but, but what makes, I think a good coach with both of these things is the ability to like take your foot on and off the gas pedal when, when things are real time, you know, cause that's, that's where the growth happens is knowing how much push they need. I think. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, again, that's part of the, idea that uh sometimes we'll do some joking around about you know some outfits uh six hour long instructor training class right just because you know around here it takes people on average a year or two years to where they're kind I of still don't know what i'm doing <laughs> up to speed with being able to run a program and, yeah. and essentially it's learning how to be an educator and that takes time and can't be rushed and it's not just like a you don't just get like a cheat sheet of like five skills. Here's what you need. Now head yeah. and get out there and do it. You know, you, you kind of have to, you watch other people do it. You dip your foot in the water. You work with people in certain aspects, but to, to really run a big program takes a lot. And, uh, again, the sort of the understanding how to, how to coach people through something difficult. Um, say for example, canoe polling, yeah. you know, knowing when to push the gas and when to take your foot off the gas and maybe pump the brakes to some extent. So, 
like we were talking about before the batteries ran out that you, pulling a canoe is probably one of the most challenging things that people have to learn how to do on our programs right um, yeah and when he says have to learn how to do like they really for a lot of the trips that we go on they have to be able to pull that canoe effectively because you can't you can't get enough water moving with your paddle to control the boat so right there's a lot of stretches where if you're not if you haven't uh really dialed that in you're gonna be moving slow and that's the you know that one of the challenges of our long-term programming is it would be great <clears throat> it would be easy if hey if we're going on a trip into the north main woods we just threw like backpacks on and started walking because yeah. there's you know just about everybody can pull that off and doesn't need a lot of help in order to do that but with us you know, if we're traveling by canoe, living out of the boats, we have to have people up to a certain skill level in order to do what we want to do and to be safe. So, you know, week one, we're not going on a long, difficult, arduous journey because people aren't ready for that yet. Uh, you know, they have to build their skill set up to the point where we can do it safely. Yeah, we had a great, so uh, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, yesterday coming back, we had this huge headwind Um and so we kind of changed our plans and myself and another student hopped into hopped into a boat together and just pushed as hard as we could to get back to camp and where the trailer and stuff was. Um, Cause the original plan was just to paddle back to camp. Um, and we came up to the Island in front of, in front of camp. And that was the first place that they had really pulled. And the day that they had really, really first gotten their sense of it, there was a huge wind, very similar to the one we were paddling into um, and to me, it was this cool moment as an educator where they, that was, that was from the student's mouth. That was the most frustrating day in a boat that they had. Um, they were getting blown all over the place. They didn't know how to trim the boat. Right. And I kind of looked back at him and after knowing this, this particular person for nine weeks now, um, knew that his brain was thinking one of two things, a, I'm so glad I don't have to do that again, or B. I'm pretty sure I could do that now if I tried, yeah. which is which is awesome because yeah. day one, like they had zero control of the boat. They were getting blown from one side of the shore to the other. And then I could see the look in his eyes like, I bet I could do it now. I bet I bet I could. I bet I know enough now to manage that. And that's that's the growth. Right. Is And you don't notice that stuff unless you have a coach that points that out to you. Um, Hashtag teaching. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's it's. Because it, because in your head it's just you don't see the growth that's happened until somebody like reminds. Remember that first day when you were yeah like when, when you fell out of the boat in the pond in the pond and, totally and now water. exactly right like now you're running like class twos class yeah, threes with easy. thirty mile an hour winds easy and, and that's that's it that's what that's where the value of being able to balance the ability to like push people hard when they need to be pushed and yeah. also like remind them of how far they've come yeah and it's. I probably get it right five times out of 10. Um, and that's, that's just part of it. I think you just kind of roll, roll the dice on whether you want to yell at people or be nice to them. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I genuinely just roll the dice every day and whatever number comes up, that's how I decide how I'm going to you're in an alley gambling. Oh man. <laughs> I thought I was learning to be a teacher. Um, the challenges though. And I don't want to make it sound like in order to hold people accountable, like you have to sort of be, uh, uh, a little rough around the edges, yeah. you know, a little rough with them. Like, I, I don't think that needs to 
to be the case, but but it's also it's difficult to wear both hats at once, right? It's difficult yeah. to be like, okay, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and how about a hug, right? Yeah. Like it does. Yeah, it, exactly. You 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 kind of choose one or the other, I think, in order to be an effective coach in in a certain instance. Yeah, yeah. From situation to situation, you definitely pick different hats depending on what's best. Yeah. Um, not to say that the you know the same instructor the same teacher the same coach can definitely wear both hats and and does and, and i've seen you do it uh, i've seen you wear so many hats <laughs> yeah you gotta wear a lot of hats in this game just because it's cold yeah uh but it's more challenging to try to do it by yourself yeah at, in in a in a short period of time oh yeah so the so yeah the just the two aspects of coaching being a nurturer or being a taskmaster uh yeah it's stuff that you learn from experience yeah and it, it's always learning at it too right you know every night after we finish up with the day up here tim and i sit and like talk about how everybody did and you know the question we always come up with is like who needs a win like who needs us to build a situation where they get that confidence boost that pushes them through the next thing that comes up and like yeah. that's it you know you talk we're talking about like situation to situation kind of putting on a different hat but like you kind of figure out what that hat needs to be before you get into the situation and then it makes it way easier. Like what's going to be the best option um, for everybody involved. And that's, that's the hard part because it maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And we've talked on the podcast in the past about the difference between education and information that information, say you're watching somebody do a demonstration of a certain skill on YouTube, right? And that's, that's part of being an instructor is being able to effectively demonstrate certain things. But education is where you're meeting the students where they're at. That's what educators yeah. do. And that's, you know, that's the crux of what we're talking about here, that it's not, uh, it's not just delivering information. It's, it's working with people. We, you know, it, it's sort of semantics, but, um, you know, I say we teach people bushcraft. We don't teach bushcraft in that the emphasis is always on working with people, yeah. meeting them where they're at, figuring out what they need to progress to the next level. Like that's the that's the crux of what an educator does. And I think that's what we do here. Agreed. And then by, you know, breaking down things like how to be a more effective coach when you're coaching something, for example, canoe polling. You know, what what is what does this student need from me today? Do they need me to sort of... Uh, build them up so they feel really good about how far they've come or they need me to break down exactly what's lacking from their technique. Yeah, so like you were mentioning the whole meeting people where they are and I think that there's two different types of that where you're you're meeting people where they are kind of in their sort of mental stamina. Like how much more, what do they need from me to be able to overcome whatever the hurdle is? And also am I am I meeting them where they are skill level wise too? Am I Am I jumping right from lighting a fire with a match to doing it with a bow drill? And is that jump too big? Do they need more understanding of all, like there's a, there's so much nuance that goes into all this stuff. And it's, it's fascinating to me, this whole, you know, this whole idea of how to, how to better provide people with, um, you know, with the, how to provide people with the experience that they need real time um, to get the outcome that they've set out to do is, amazing to me it's such a fascinating thing to sit and mull over in those dark nights in the alley while i'm gambling <laughs> yeah i just when listening to you explain it like that made me think about uh uh 
finishing my master's degree in education and if I wish some old timer had sat me down and said, now you can start really learning about yeah. this stuff, right? Because, you, you know, you did, you, the question, questioning myself, did I learn anything really useful in school or but all the all of the useful things that I've learned since then as a part of working with people? Um, you know, that's like you say, it's kind of fascinating. It never gets dull. You're no, always, never. It's like the ultimate in problem solving. How do we how do we move get person A to move themselves along the desired route to their goals and where they want to be? And, you know, you're constantly changing tactics and techniques and approaches and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's a hard thing to do on your own. And it's ama- It's always interesting. You know, like we said at the beginning of this, I head back to Vermont today. If I get the wheel back on my trailer, um, I'm just going to keep harping on that. Um, but you, is that like, is this, are you trying to say like the wheels are coming off? Is that the wheels are off? Is this Tim? a metaphor? The wheels are off, but you're saying that it's your well, actual trailer. One wheel, <laughs> one wheel is off anyway. Um, but, uh, I totally lost the train of thought here. Um, but you know, like I head back to Vermont and I'm running a bunch of courses this summer, um, on my own. And I, I am always by the end of my summer programs, I'm struck by the differences in how I run stuff without like without backup, right? Like you're trying to wear all those hats all the time, and what it basically, yeah, it's just a, it's a hard thing to do on your own, and um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about because that the tactics that you mentioned have to be totally different. The way you approach things has to be totally different because you you can't like you can't dig yourself into a hole and expect the other guy to get you out with you know if you're the really nurturing person. You can't you can't go all out on that because you need to have their respect to be able to at the end of it say hey, like I know we all had a fun time with uh, the group hugs or whatever, but now it's time to make seventeen miles in a day. You know, like that. It's just a tough thing to balance, and so it's. So you're saying that it's hard to actually cover miles when you're engaged in a hug. Is that is that is that the point? Not if you could find a way to make love. What do you do down there in Vermont? It's Vermont. What do you think? Hugs. We do hugs. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's true. Like it's just like a the mentality has to be different when you're work, do running programs solo um, versus you know you have you have a team and that's I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah, yeah it's, but it's no, interesting. I agree. Like short programs, you're less of a nurturer. Yeah, it's more about being a taskmaster. Yeah, longer programs when you're really invested in the people on it. it it's you know them to to a deep level and there you're yeah you have more insight into how you can help best exactly help them progress so getting back to this you're saying this metaphorical trailer wheel that fell off is also like a physical wheel on the trailer that fell off It genuinely fell off and it's the thing keeping me from starting driving so the metaphor and the reality are the same now which brings us to is Is life imitating art or is art imitating life here neither my trailer wheel fell off and i'm angry about it (laughs) <laughs> anyway uh we should probably wrap it up yeah i need to go fix my trailer wheel the metaphorical trailer wheel so like the, the, that means all of the things in your the life amount, coming... the amount of therapy that it would take for me to get the wheels back on my metaphorical metaphorical trailer is just i, I who's got that kind of money like let's be honest that, yeah but a lug nut i can afford so i'm gonna go get those and put the real lug nuts on my real wheel and maybe, pretend the metaphorical stuff. I'm gonna keep it all right here in my chest. I think maybe. And then you, one day I'll die. Maybe what you need is a hug nut. <laughs> anyway, 
You have... I hate you. Oh my god. You have See you guys uh, later. Wasted another hour of your life <laughs> listening to us. Battle on. Uh but thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with somebody. And we will catch you again later. Have a good one. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.